All right. We finished up last time with talking about. Um, well, what did we finish up last time talking about? We're in Acts chapter five. Yeah, and we had just talked about Christ as the cornerstone, and also the hand of Christ reaching out to heal people in verse um, thirty. Or the hand of God, while thou stretchest out thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And remember, we talked about that, that whose hand is it that's actually healing people? Who's going around healing people? Yeah, and? And the apostles. Well, how do we deal with both of those issues? They say it's God healing, but they're the ones going around telling people to stand up. What's that? How do you do it through Christ? What do you mean by that? Or Christ is doing it through them. Maybe it's a little better way of looking at it. Yeah? Come on, give me some more. The extremely important point. Verse, um, verse 30. We, looked at, we saw that again. Uh, that was chapter 4, verse 30. I'm sorry, chapter 4. We saw that in chapter 3 also, verse 12. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we made him walk? Okay? What's going on here? What's taking place in the lives of these men that is, that is uh, extraordinary? The Holy, the Holy Spirit is working through them. The Holy Spirit is assimilating them into Christ as his body, and they become an extension of him because they live in his name. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. This is the key to understanding the Catholic faith. I say this in every talk I give almost, right, Perry? If you understand this point, everything else will be understood. Okay? Whenever you have a question about what the church teaches, apply this to it. And suddenly you can start to grasp the truth beyond. You don't have to read big things of theology. It's all about this. Participation in the life of God. It was the God's plan in the beginning, and it's taking place now in Jesus Christ. Okay, absolutely essential. We talked about in Acts how there's a whole background here about the temple going on. And St. Peter, as he was arrested and he was giving his defense in front of the, the, the authorities, in, in chapter 4, verse 11, said, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, but which has become the head of the corner. And we talked about a little bit about that last time. And what was that? What did I say about that? What's important about that verse? Which means it's going to fall. Okay, there's this whole background of prophecy taking place in Acts about 70 AD, about the coming destruction of the temple and, and Jerusalem as a whole. And along with that, what else is important? Not only the negative. But what's going to happen with this cornerstone? Yeah. Yeah, or a new a new house or a new building or whatever. These words and these ideas all of a sudden start to blend together as we're going to see temple, house of God, kingdom of God, church. All of these things are going to start to blend together for us into something completely new. <coughs> And the apostles are trying to explain what's taking place. Okay? We see in verse, we left off chapter 5, verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church, and upon all who heard of these things. It's the first time in Acts that we hear of the church. And it's an established thing. It's taken for granted that we know what it is. Well, what is it? What is the church? Is, is this the first occurrence of that word? Yeah, in Acts. Okay. Um, in Greek, does anyone know what the Greek word is? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Yeah, Ecclesia or Ecclesia in, in Latin. <laughs> Transliterating it. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, well, what does it mean? Those that are called out. Yeah. Want to teach the class, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from X, we all know that, right? X out of or from, right? Like an exit, right? And kaleo, version of that, to call out or to call from. Those who are called out of, if you will. Okay? It's not simply something unique to the, to the New Testament. It was used in the Old Testament to denote the assembly of Israel. The calling out of the people. When, when Israel was at Sinai, God said, Assemble the people before the mountain that I may make a covenant with them. Continually throughout the Old Testament, this assembly of Israel takes place. And when, it's, when the Old Testament is translated into the Greek, that's the Greek word we come up with. Okay, so it's not something particularly new, a new concept to the New Testament. Okay? It's the assembly of Israel. What's interesting is that I was just talking to the RCIA candidates about this, that today we have this concept in 2007 of the church as this institution. Well, it is an institution in the sense it's been instituted by Christ, but we think about it as an institution like AT&T, which is a collection of buildings, and yeah, there's some employees there, and they got a bunch of money in the bank, and it's almost like it's a hard, inhuman thing. Okay? But when you understand the Old Testament references to the assembly of Israel, all of a sudden we understand when we're talking about the church, we're talking about people. We're talking about the assembly of Israel in the Old Testament, which is now being assembled by the will of God in the New Testament. Okay? All the while in Acts, as we're talking about this church, we're also talking about the temple and the house of God. You remember, what's the, what's the one time in our Lord's life that sticks in your, your memory about when he talked about the church? Oh, the Petrine text? Yeah, right? Matthew 16, 18. And what, is, what does our Lord say? What's the whole conversation about? You remember, we don't have to turn there, but you'll remember it. When Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And, and, they, and they say, well, some say Elijah, and some say the prophet. He says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ. You are the king. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And for my part, I declare that you are the rock, and upon this rock I will do what? Build my Ecclesia, my assembly of Israel. And notice he's drawing together two images. He's going to build a building, but that building is going to be built out of people. Okay? He's using the words of an architect or somebody building something. Okay? As a, as a side note to that, to that point, the king in Israel is to be the son of David. The new Solomon. Remember, Solomon built the temple. And so they looked for the Messiah to come to rebuild the temple and to free Israel from the oppression of foreign nations. Okay? So this is images going on that all of a sudden our Lord takes what's taking place for the temple and as the king says, I'm going to build a new house and it's going to be built out of the assembly of Israel, those who are called out from the peoples by the will of God. Turn real quick to 1 Peter, the epistle of 1 Peter. You can see this brought together very nicely. First, if you go to the book of Revelation and work your way backwards, that's the easiest. Okay, so you got Revelation, you got all the smaller epistles, and you'll see Peter right in there. Yes, you do. First Peter chapter two. Don't start reading yet. All right, if you're not there yet, look on with the neighbor. Go ahead, Carrie. First one through ten. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. 
like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. Notice that's the same text that was being quoted back there in Acts. Right? The stone which the builders rejected. Okay. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those that, who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay. Remember what our Lord said in the Gospel of John. Some of you are in the Gospel of John Bible study with me. When he was talking to the Samaritan woman, she says, You say that, that worship should take place in Jerusalem, and we say here on this mountain. And what does Jesus say back to her? You remember? He says, There's a time coming when... People will not neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, for they will worship in spirit and in truth. The house of God, the assembly of Israel, the temple, have been brought together in Jesus Christ. Not only is the law now incarnate in man, in the person of Jesus, the will of God taking on flesh, but the whole created order now is coming alive. No longer is the temple dead stones like the Ten Commandments was written on a dead stone. Now the temple has been enfleshed in the hearts of the believers. And we have become, in our hearts, the place where the true worship takes place. All of creation has been incarnated in Christ. Okay? Yeah. Um, could could you could at that time could you convert to Judaism? Or did you have to have been born? No, we're gonna find out we haven't actually seen it, but we'll see it again. People called proselytes. And those are non-Jews who converted, were circumcised, and their existence was still very interesting. They weren't really part of the chosen people. But they were following the true religion. Okay? And so we see that with an Ethiopian unit coming up. Here's a guy coming from Ethiopia, a long ways away, and he's a follower of Judaism, of Judaism and yet he's still not a Jew. Okay? That's going to become a big issue because that issue of how you're incorporated into the family of God is going to be uh, reinterpreted or is going to become an issue that's critical to the early church. What do we do with Gentiles as we go out to the Samaritans and we go out beyond them? What do we do with these people? Can they now be incorporated into the body of Christ, into the church, or not? And that's going to become the main issue in Acts that's going to be... A real dividing point. There's going to be some argument over it. Do you, yeah. think, do you think the issue was that they didn't think they could be incorporated into the body of Christ? Or did they need to become Jews in order to do it? Did they need to be circumcised? Because you see through right. the Old Testament, allowance is made for people coming to Judaism from, right. I mean... Yeah, it wasn't the yeah there's, there's definitely that issue of how to deal with them. But there's also the issue of how closely they can really be identified as God's chosen people. Can, can an Ethiopian eunuch be one of God's chosen people or not? Right. I guess what I was thinking is the, the temple in Jerusalem was the temple. I mean, when, when, when I went to Jerusalem this last summer, they kept saying, oh, well, you know, when it was destroyed... The, 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 it, was, it, was, it was such a big deal because it was the temple right. and everybody had to come to the temple right. and 
whereas Christ was like, no, our church is, could be could be anywhere. You know, it could be in Rome, and it could be in Ethiopia, and it could be you know in Spain, and it could be in, in Corinth, because it wasn't it wasn't connected to a building. Yeah, but here's, here's, here's a key thing that we want to draw away from. When we say the word church, what are we talking about? Are we talking about that building over there? Right. And we're not. We're talking about the body of Christ, which worships fittingly in buildings because we're human beings. And yet, the true worship is not because we're standing in the building, but it's because the hearts of the believers have been united to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which offers to the Father the perfect act of thanksgiving. That's where the true worship is taking place, right? So it's not a matter of whether it's the cathedral in Spain or we can build our temples all over the place. It's that the temple, the church of God, has now come alive. And all of those things associated with it in the Old Testament now are true in the New Testament in the people following God or following Jesus Christ, okay? Yes? Um. You can tell me to forget this together. No, 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 go ahead. But this is a, a political problem of today. Uh-huh. With all of this going on, and the chosen people now being brought out beyond the Jews, mm-hmm. what about Israel today? What about Israel today? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? <laughs> what about Israel? Are you Are saying you about the state it, of Israel? Is it essential? Uh, is it something I'm we should be? I'm talking about particularly the, um, I guess the Protestants. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Are out there saying, oh, Israel's going on. Yeah, all these things have to be restored. Well, There's a whole movement. With us, though. Yeah, there was a whole movement. We were just dealing with this the other night with one of the gentlemen that was here. And I don't know if you guys noticed, I cut a guy off at the end. I wouldn't let him talk because he was trying to evangelize from a particular point of view that's saying, we got to rebuild the temple again, we got to start the sacrifices all over again, we got to get the red heifer, and they're trying, there's like people breeding, trying to get red heifers again for the sacrifice in the temple, and they're still trying to restore the Levitical priesthood, and all this craziness that we got, we, we abandoned the, the old ways. And my answer, without dealing with the political issue of the state of Israel, and it's not my place to do that, is to say that for the early church and for us today, true Israel is the one, is the, those people who follow God in everything he gives. When someone abandoned Moses, they cut themselves off from Israel. Israel was the house of God, the place where God and man became united again. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the revelation. In a sense, you could say, he's well, he's the final Moses. And when people say no to him, they cut themselves off from Israel. For the early church, the true Israel was still alive and well in the church because they had received the, the one sent from God, Jesus Christ, and they were following him. And so they saw themselves as the true fulfillment of what was taking place before. They were just kept walking along the way. That's why we're going to do the study about Old Testament feasts and New Testament feasts. Because they were very cautious that they didn't just stop doing everything. They saw what they were doing as the fulfillment of what was taking place before. As we're going to see in a few minutes. They asked themselves, what was circumcision all about? We want to do what it was really about. We want to be circumcised in a true way. And the issue is going to come up, how do you do that? How does God really want us to be circumcised? What was circumcision all about anyways? Okay? Hi, Cynthia. How are you doing? (laughs) Yes, Cynthia. I I understand her question. Is she talking about the remnant that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans? Is that, is that are you talking about the state of Israel or are you talking about the, the religious entity of the Old Testament Israel? I'm talking about partially, I think. I mean, I'm not altogether sure uh-huh. because I'm pretty confused about the whole thing. Right. But in the view of many people, and this gets, of course, to the political situation today, that the Israelis are entitled to that. To that yeah. 
That's it. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let me just cut you off there because I'm happy to talk about that, but not in this cycle. Yeah, okay. We can afterwards, if anyone wants to see around and talk about that, we can talk about that because there's all sorts of New Testament information that you have. Yeah. yeah, well, afterwards we can sit down and chat if you want, okay? Um, all right, let's go back to the text because we're way out of. Uh, we got to get going. Verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Nina, go ahead. Chapter 5, verse 12 through verse 16. Many signs and wonders were done among the people at the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's part of the portico. None of the others dared to join them, but the people esteemed them. Yet more than ever, believers in the Lord, great numbers of men and women, were added to them. Thus they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on crops and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on one or another of them. A large number of people from the towns in the vicinity of Jerusalem also gathered, bringing the sick and those disturbed by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Okay, we got to come back to that. I missed one point i got to tell you about, and that's back in, in the beginning of chapter 5. I'm sorry, we're just going to look at it real quick. A real a parallel that's drawn that's helpful to us. Chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, remember this is the, t- the couple that gave of their property, but they held some things back, and they were struck dead. Okay, um, he says, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then look down, verse... Four. Okay, while it remained unsold, it did not remain your own. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, you have not lied to men, but to God. What's the parallel? Yeah, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to men, but to God. Okay, so there's a just an apologetic standpoint when you're talking to your, your Jehovah's Witnesses. That's a helpful one. Okay, that there's a revelation of who the Spirit is in the New Testament, and that Spirit is a very personal being that speaks, that uh, that helps the faithful deliberate, and um, and is actually divine. Okay, I think you might from Catholic standpoint. Well, of course, but. There it is in the scriptures. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, is why is not something that has a personal relationship to Jesus, or are we supposed to have a personal relationship with the Trinity? Where's the doubt? Personal relationship with the Trinity. <laughs> Absolutely. Just one. When we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, though, we are we are brought into a personal relationship with God Himself, with the with the persons of the Trinity, because now incorporated into Christ, we stand in the place of the Word in the inner workings of God. So the Father gives His Spirit to us, okay, and we give ourselves back in love to God. And so all of a sudden, what took takes place in God from all eternity, we are incorporated into that. We become truly sharers in God's own life. Okay? Now, back to uh, verse 12 through 16 there that we read. Um, Verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and pallets, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. This sounds like crazy talk. I mean, this guy's just just a guy, right? I mean, can you imagine if we were taking out, like, the sick and, like, throwing them in front of the Pope? What, I mean, what the world would say to that? Or what some of our non-Catholic Christians might say to that? Well, you're taking away glory from Jesus and giving it to men. Is that the case? Is that what's taking place? Give me an example in the Old Testament where something similar took place, where at the hands of man or created things, material objects, man was healed. Give me some examples. Yeah, the serpent. Remember the bronze serpent? Okay. Becomes a source of healing for Israel in the desert. Okay. What else? Yeah, name in the pool is cleansed by water. By water, yeah, exactly. What else? I didn't have that one. Who knows? It's great. What else? The Bible, the 
it up, Mon. Tell us about it. All right? I just, my mind's not working on that right now. I think you're right. When else? When else? Jesus' miracle. Uh, Mud. Okay, what about the Old Testament, though? What about the bones of Elisha? Was it Elisha or Elijah? Oh, yeah. Elisha, right? When when Elisha died, and they were going to bury him, and all of a sudden, a marauding band came like out. It's a crazy story, but a marauding band came into the area, and they all of a sudden, they had to throw his bones in somebody else's tomb that had recently died. And what happened to the guy that was laying there dead in the tomb? All of a sudden he came to life because he touched the bones of a prophet, a holy man of God. If you want to write that down, you don't have to look it up right now, but that's in 2 Kings uh, chapter 13, verse 21. Similarly, in Acts chapter 19, we won't look at that. In Acts chapter 19, a pieces of the cloth that were touched to the apostles are brought and touched to the sick people. Now, not only are the apostles healing, but their clothes, not even their clothes, they're taking pieces of cloth and touching it to their clothes and then taking it out and touching people and they're being healed by it. What's going on? The shadow of the apostles? What's going on? Tell me. Carrie, tell me what's going on. God is giving them his check mark. <laughs> well, they're not in school, and they're not in trouble. I, know, I used to go like check marks when I got in trouble. What do you mean by check mark? Check mark. God, yeah. God is, um, is demonstrating his power through them as a sign that they are speaking the truth. Yeah, and I... I, I want to stress this point because notice it's created things that are now extending the immaterial life of God to mankind. Even the shadow of a holy man has powers to heal people. Okay? When we're talking about the Catholic Church and we're talking about the sacraments. This is why I told you that it's the key, that participation in my life is the key to Catholic theology. How is it that bread and wine can suddenly become the body and blood of Jesus Christ and, and somehow we receive divine life through it? Because God's plan is that all of creation is to be divinized, to be made to participate in his own life. That's Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 21. Read it for us. Because the creature itself, or creation itself, shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Yeah. Remember in, the Genesis, in Genesis, in the beginning, man was to eat of the tree of life and... Live forever. You can look it up. You can look it up later with Norma. Eat from the tree of life and live forever. This is God's plan, and it's not because we have crazy ideas about bread and wine and whatever. It's because God wants us to share in his life, and when we do, suddenly God's own life floods into creation. And all of creation begins to become, begins to become, whatever, becomes the hand of God reaching out into the world. Even a tree or water. How is it that a baby can come out of water and we believe that suddenly they're participating in divine life? Because God made water so that it would share his own life with us. God made bread so that it would share his own life with us. God made trees so that they would share his own life with us. God made us so that we would share our own life with our fellow men. That's why creation exists. That's all I have to say. <laughs> say, um, yeah. you know, even I think about the saints, you know, there have been a lot of saints that um, because of their relationship with God, because of their faith, they have been healers and miracles have been connected to them. And it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing yeah. from the ancient apostles, the apostles of 2,000 years ago and today. And this brings up the point that Edmund and I were talking about this Sunday about our class last time is how do you, when can you walk on water or when do you know how to talk to somebody and raise them from the dead? 
And I told you last week, I don't know, but it happens. When God wants to use you in that way, if you are ready, he'll use you. And as the evidence from the saints and from the scriptures tell us, all of a sudden, it's self-evident because we are doing what we've been made to do. And it doesn't just stop in the scriptures with these strange occurrences. It continues on in those that are living a life of holiness. And when you're living a life of holiness, suddenly, when God wants you to do something, you're going to do it. Because you've chosen to do it. Way beforehand. And then an occasion happens, and you act. And suddenly, miracles take place at the hands of men. Not at the hands of men, the hands of dead bones of saints. How much more at the hands of living human beings? It's just that we're, unfortunately, oftentimes so spiritually impoverished that the dead bones of holy people are a lot better than our living hands. So when the church is functioning and healthy, miracles should be the norm. Not miracles should be the norm. The divine life, the heavenly life is the norm. So the miraculous becomes the normal. Yeah. These guys weren't freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, I just raised that guy from death. I can't believe it. on the outside, but people that are living that life, it doesn't look strange at all because that's their life they're living. So do you think that it was more prevalent then than it is now because we have somehow failed in our modern day, or do you think it was more prevalent then because they were just getting started and they needed there are some divine signs? Yeah, there are certain graces God gives at certain times to help the church along difficult periods, and this is definitely one of them. You see in the midst of persecutions... What's that? This is, this is too, and that's why in the midst of persecutions, oftentimes you see mm-hmm. strange occurrences take place in the life of the church. That's but right. I would say, I would say that it is happening in our own day, yeah. all over the place, because every single day that you're receiving the Eucharist in there, a miracle is taking place at the hands of God. If you have faith, and if the guy sitting there, while Peter looked at him and said, "Stan doesn't have any faith." Or Peter doesn't have any faith, it's not going to happen. Okay, but yeah, I mean, there's certain graces given in order for conversion to take place. You know, and so that can, you know, come and go with the times of the church. Yeah, so Cynthia. Uh, I don't know if you brought the story of Hezekiah up, but I, I just not. Um, happened to be looking when you were mentioning, um, you know, going to Second Kings, and I just happened to, my eyes happened to just light on chapter 20. Uh-huh. Um, and I just found this really interesting because it just pertained exactly to what you're saying. And, um, Go ahead, read it for us. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beg you, how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the little court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the prince of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer and have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And then at the end it says, um, of this uh, verse it says, And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs, and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Right. Yeah, so again, by the material, and what, well, just a side note, what uh, tree do we know is in paradise? Fig tree, we know. Okay, because they cover themselves in fig leaves. Okay, and he does the same thing with a cake too, I think. And there he is. Okay. Cake of figs. Yeah. So what? Again, it's created things which are becoming instruments of sal- salvation to man. How much more we are to be an instrument of salvation to our fellow men? Okay, we were just talking about sacramentals earlier. That's what sacramentals are all about. That's why we bless cars. We bless everything because our job is to make creation come alive with the life of God. Even a car. Okay? So what do we use? We yeah. use oil and yeah. incense. Yeah, everything. We use all these Catholics. You know, love creation. You know? 
Our bodies, we believe in the bodily resurrection, don't we? We say that, we don't think about it. We believe in the resurrection of the body. That means our bodies in heaven will not be floating around like angels. I'm going to walk around and use my two eyes and use my nose. And I'm going to taste things on my tongue. And I'm going to see you guys, I hope. <laughs> I'm planning on getting there. <laughs> okay? Anyways. All right. We got to look. We're away. This is ridiculous. <laughs> But it's good stuff. We gotta keep going. Let's keep reading. Uh, a lot of us comments. So Nina, keep reading for us from verse uh, chapter five, verse seventeen. Acts. Yep. Again, why, why the Sadducees? Because the resurrection, these guys are preaching the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. We talked about that before. Okay, keep going. During the night, each of the Lord opened the doors of the prison, let them out, and said, Go and take your place in the temple area and tell the people everything about this life. When they, they went to the temple early in the morning and taught. and sent to the jail to have them brought in. But the court officers who went did not find them in the prison, so they came back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, and the guards stationed outside the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. When they heard this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss about them, as to what this would come to. Then someone came in and reported to them, The men who have put in prison are in the temple area and are teaching the people. Then the captain and the court officers went and brought them in, but without force, because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them in and made them stand before the Sanhedrin, the high priest questioned them. We gave you strict orders, did we not, to stop teaching in that name? Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and want to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles said in reply, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus, though you, have, you had him killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to grant Israel repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, as is the Holy Spirit that God has given to those who obey him. When they heard, I told you I'm not going to read the comments to cover some material, so go. Sorry. Keep going, verse 33. When they heard this, they became infuriated and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee in the Sanhedrin named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up, ordered oh. the men... Now, before you read what he says, who, who is this guy, do you know? Paul's teacher. Paul. Yeah, he, yeah, he's, he's, he's Paul's main guy that he looked up to. Okay, And he's a Pharisee, and what's that tell you? He believes in the resurrection. The Sadducees are going after these guys. So he stands up and says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, there's probably a couple things going on. First of all, the fact that he's a Pharisee against the Sadducees. Okay, and also, look what happens to St. Paul when, he's, when, he is, when he is struck with the message of Christ. Okay, and so similarly here we see this guy kind of starting to come around a little bit maybe. Okay, go ahead. Um, stood up, ordered the men to be put outside for a short time, and said to them, Fellow Israelites, be careful what you are about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be so unimportant, and about 400 men joined him. But he was killed, and all those who were loyal to him were disbanded and came to nothing. After him came Judas the Galilean at the time of the census. He also drew people after him, but he too perished, and all who were loyal to him were scattered. So now I tell you, have nothing to do with these men, and let them go. For if this endeavor or this activity is of human origin, it will destroy itself. But if it comes from God, you will not be able to destroy them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. After recalling the apostles, they had, been, they had them flogged, ordered them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, and dismissed them. So they left the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And all day long, both at the temple and in their homes, 
They did not stop teaching and proclaiming the Messiah Jesus. Why did they why did they rejoice at, at being flogged? I mean it, it sounds a little bit crazy, doesn't it? I mean yes. when's the last time you heard something like Yeah. I quit. <laughs> it's strange. So why? Because Jesus is yeah, so, okay, great, so Jesus would fall That's not very good. Why, Sue? No, you're right. Why? What, what about what Sue said is true? Because Jesus was flogged, they rejoiced in being flogged. Why? Yeah, but... Well, it's like they're sharing. They're sharing. What's that, Sue? Sharing in his life. Whenever I ask you a question, answer that way. I'll never say no. Okay? Because they're sharing in his life. They see in themselves what's taking place, a participation in Christ's own life. Okay? I'll read you from Matthew chapter 10, just to save time, don't turn there. Behold, chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear testimony before them to the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, do not be anxious of how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in, the, in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks through you. I think we could all meditate on that one for quite a while. Okay, when you're in the grocery store and that guy's standing next to you, don't freak out. Have faith in God. He'll speak through you. Don't worry about it. You're quiet. Whatever. Invite somebody to the Bible study. Invite them to church. Don't worry about it. Just do it. The kingdom of God will not be accomplished without you. You've got to be willing to participate in it. To reach out your hand is the hand of Jesus Christ. Okay? Don't worry about what you're going to say. Alright. Uh, let's go. Chapter 6, verse 1. This is ridiculous. We're supposed to get to chapter 9. At that time... No, no. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Acts 6, 1. At that time, as the number of disciples continued to grow, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Who are the Hellenists? Greeks. The Greeks, yeah. But what? Well, they're, they're, what, what they are most likely are Jews who were born outside of the Holy Land, outside of Jerusalem, outside of, of Palestine, were living out there and came back. Okay, and now had established themselves in the Holy Land again. But they spoke Greek. They had Greek customs, as we're going to find out. They have synagogues where they read the scriptures in Greek. They have all sorts of backgrounds in their childhood, but they're, they're Jews. And they've converted and come to Jesus Christ, so they're Christian Jew Greeks, if you will, or something like that. Okay? Um, and they're living, they're established there in the Holy Land, and they've been established as Jews there. And now they're being converted. Some of them are coming to Christ, and there's all sorts of issues about how to deal with them. Remember the beginning, as we're going to see as we keep going, the beginning of the gospel, Jesus had said at the beginning of Acts, Jesus said right before the ascension, that you will preach in my name in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so now, it just even within Jerusalem, it's starting to spread to, to Hellenists, and pretty soon it's going to spread to the Samaritans, and pretty soon it's going to spread to the whole world. Okay, so there's these, these people. They are Jews. They follow all the Jewish practices, everything, but they speak Greek and they have certain Greek customs. Okay, go ahead and keep reading. So the twelve called together the community of the disciples and said, "It is not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at table. Brothers, select among from among you seven reputable men, filled with the Spirit and wisdom, whom we, whom we shall appoint to the task." Whereas we shall devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The proposal was acceptable to the whole community, so they chose Stephen, a man filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, 
guy is the first what? Yeah, maybe the first deacons, okay? They're actually not called deacons there. The word for sure is diaconia. Diaconia? Diaconia? Sorry about that. Something like that. Um, and it simply means to serve. And so these seven are not called deacons, but they end up doing an activity which is very much like the deacons that we end up having in the church. Okay, so this is the first time that we can see this institution of an of apparently an office in the church of service. And they're not only to serve at table, but as we're going to find out pretty soon um, with Philip, the deacon Philip, that they're also baptizing and preaching the word. Okay, so they're set apart to do a particular job within the church. And they're not just asked to do it, but the people elect them. And they say, they say, these are men that are honorable among us. And then what happens? The apostles lay their hands upon them. And the laying on of, of hands in the, in the New Testament oftentimes has to do with healing, but it also has to do with the coming down of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We still see that today, the laying on of hands. Also, what, what else? The calling down of the Holy Spirit at Mass. When the priest places his hands over the Eucharist, called the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit, that placing his hands, by his hands, the power of the Holy Spirit comes down. Again, same issue, participation in divine life. They're handing on a particular aspect of their job and ordaining these men to a, to a particular job within the church. Okay? Um, also notice that it's not just that they're elected, but that the, they have to be called out by the apostles. So look at that, um, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer. So they're the ones appointing them to the duty, but it's the faithful who are bringing them up. That's the ancient practice of the church, that the lower, say the lower level of the hierarchy, if you will, offers up the one who is honored, the one to become a priest. The, the community would offer them to the bishop for ordination. The priests of a diocese would elect a man to be bishop, and the patriarch would ordain them bishop. Okay? You still see that practice in the election of the pope. The cardinals elect the pope. Well, who are the cardinals, historically? What do you know what the historical origin is? They're priests of the diocese of Rome. If you go to the, the churches in Rome, all the parish churches will have at the front of their thing, Cardinal so-and-so, pastor of this church. Okay? They're the priests of the diocese of Rome electing their bishop. Okay? And it's God in that, in that situation that comes down and appoints him. They're offering this man as the one honored among them as the, what do they say? Uh, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Men of good repute. And that's all they're doing. They're saying, this is the one. This, this guy's the best among us. Here, take him. Okay? And that practice um, is still retained there in, in Rome. Okay, elected church. Yeah, it's called a titular, a titular see or titular parish. He's in name only. Okay, in name, some of these guys haven't even been to the church, but it's just retaining that old practice that that's how they went about doing it. Okay? Alright, what else? Notice these are Hellenists that are saying, wait a minute, we're the one, we're getting, we're not getting, uh, our, our widows aren't being fed, what is this? It's not right. And so, who, is, who are the ones that are chosen to do the work? Notice their names. Yeah, they're all Greek. Okay, they're all Greeks. And in fact, um, Stephen, as he goes and before, as, well, we're out of time, but I asked you guys to read all of Stephen's thing. How many people read it? Okay, not too many. You got one more week to do it. Read the next couple of chapters of Stephen's defense as he comes before the, before the tribunal is arrested. And interestingly, all the references to the scriptures that he makes are references to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Okay? So he's using the scriptures that he knows from the synagogue that he's from. 
where they read the Greek text. Because they do variant comparisons between the Hebrew text and the Greek text, and so they can find out for most, almost certainly what manuscripts they have that fit into what he's saying. Okay, so there's certain there's certain uh, parts of Amos that are quoted that the way it's translated from the from the uh, Greek text or from the Hebrew text. Okay. Okay? It's unique to the Greek. Um, let me just, before we conclude, let me see if there's anything I have to say. No, okay. Read the story of Stephen then. I, like I said, we're going to conclude on November 6th. So we're going to keep it going for two more weeks after our the set date there. We'll conclude this series on November 6th. So do me a favor. Read that section. If you don't read, I'm just up here preaching a bunch of nonsense at you and all that. Let me conclude with a quote from, if I can find it real quick, St. John Chrysostom. If I can find it. Oh, please. Oh, please. Ah, yes, I have it. We'll conclude with this. We'll, we'll use this as our prayer. You guys can imagine it. It's okay. He's talking about the Ethiopian eunuch who's riding in his chariot, reading the scriptures he's riding in his chariot. He says, Consider what a good thing it is not to neglect reading scripture, even when one is on a journey. Let those reflect on this who do not even read the scriptures at home, and because they are with their wife, or are fighting in the army, or are very involved in family or other affairs, think that there is no particular need for them to make the effort to read the divine scriptures. The Ethiopian has something to teach us all. Those who have a family, members of an army, officials, in a word, all men and women too, particularly those women who are always at home, and all those who have chosen the monastic way of life, let all learn that no situation is an obstacle to reading the Word of God. This is something one can do not only when one is alone at home, but also in the public square or on a journey, in the company of others, or when, when engaged in one's occupation. Let us not, let us not, I implore you, neglect the reading of the scriptures. So we'll finish with that.